Well, here we are. Here we are. In heaven. Oh, we're somewhere. We're somewhere. Michael, mm-hmm. let's just get right to it. Hi, how are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. I've just been ruminating on like a flirty dream I had. Oh. Featuring a trans person. You flirting with a trans person? Shocking. Shocking. The listeners are shocked. I love it. Otherwise, I'm fine. I am probably going to go to the garden store, get some uh, house plant materials. Yes, I'm very excited. So you're going to the garden store to get garden stuff. What are you going to garden? Just I'm going to start with some house plants. Just some basic straightforward house plants. I think I'm I'm going to get some ferns. Oh, I like ferns. I love ferns. I don't really like the whole tropical look of most houseplants. Interesting. We're so opposite on that. Really? Yeah, I think tropical houseplants, I love how shiny their leaves are and how many different bright colors you can get. Oh, I just have such negative associations with places I've worked. Weird. Yeah. I mean, fine, not weird, you know, just like different than me. I haven't been lucky enough to work in a place that had plants in it, I guess. Oh, okay. Let me tell you. It's (laughs) It's the worst. It's the worst, yeah. The worst. But since I've been watching the Harry Potter movies, I've been inspired by, you know... Betraying all trans people everywhere. JK. JK. Just kidding. I've been going deep. I've been reading some of the essays that she published on her website about like background info. Some of her like turfy stuff or just like her about herself? No, no. Turfy stuff is boring. No, no. About like wand cores. <laughs> wand cores. Wand cores. Oh, like and you've been reading like and... true deep nerd shit. Yeah, true deep nerd shit. So like I know about apple wood wand cores now. So. Well, the cores aren't made of wood, are they? They're oh, sorry, made of sorry. magical parts. Yes, yes. I, I read about <laughs> wand cores. Fucking fake gamer girls. Okay, okay. I read about wand cores, and I also read about wand wood and wand right. length. Wow. And the Harry Potter it's not family. This length of the wand, you know, it's how you use it. It isn't. And there's a section where she mentions that all wands are men. That's what she says. Oh my God. Yeah. So it's clear as day. That's so funny because when I went to the bottom search and I asked her if she could give me, you know, like a applewood phoenix feather core pussy. And she was like, ma'am, this is a Wendy's. (laughs) 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 Oh, should I leave in that joke or is that too hard? Yeah, you should leave it in. I'm in high spirits today. Okay, great. The listeners can roll with it. They like it. We're known for filth. We've stated filth as one of our explicit values. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so, you know, the ferns really, it's like inspired. Because I was looking at the Weasley household, which is basically what I want, which is what we all want. If you have a soul at all, you want to live in like a Weasley style house. Which is just to say like a large house that's very crowded. Um, look With knickknacks. And love. Knickknacks, paddywax, dogs with bones, all of it. And magical objects and a mother who loves you and supports you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think everybody wants that. No, but, you know, like the magical, foresty kind of qualities. Yeah. Respect. Yeah. So ferns. I'm looking for ferns. And that's kind of what I've been up to, Hava. How are you? Baruch Hashem. I am well. Last night, I taught an intro to the Sfara method with Binya, and that went really well. 
And then this weekend, our class on Dream Magic starts, taught by the wonderful Olivia Devora and ferried by Benya and I. So I'm really excited for that to get started and just for that whole experience to kick off and to learn more about magical dream spells. I don't know. I got a library card, so that's cool. I've been like listening to a lot of books on tape and like checking out a lot of books from the library, and that's been really wonderful what are you reading or what are you listening to i have been reading mostly just like cheesy sci-fi and fantasy because that's what i love i can just sit there and hyper focus the first book i got from the library was like this super cheesy book about like a freaking i don't know like a fucking werewolf cop or something i read like 600 pages in a single sitting i can really hyperfixate on a book and it is very gratifying for me can you hyperfixate on like academic books too no i mean i i am a pretty good lover of reading overall but yeah i can't quite get into the same headspace i wish i could it would be really beneficial for like my lifestyle and my career if i could just like devour an academic book about kabbalah that way but unfortunately that is not one of the gifts god saw fit to give me tell you what i have been thinking about a lot yeah as i'm getting ready to move into my new apartment and just thinking about next phases of life this year is the fucking delta variant of the covid virus i saw your twitter thing and i second your question of what are we supposed to do so i've done a little bit of research and what it seems like is that if you're fully vaccinated what you need to do is to go back to wearing a mask in crowded spaces like grocery store and things like that, but you're probably okay with your vaxxed buddies to hang out as normal. That's where I'm at. Listeners, if you know better than I do, if you have some other science, then please let us know. We'd love to hear. We'd love to see the graphs. Yeah, please let us know, because I was seeing that the World Health Organization was saying different things from the CDC, which doesn't surprise me, because I've lost all faith in every American institution. Mm Mm-hmm. Listener, if you're a microbiologist, or I guess a virologist. Or an epidemiologist. Or an epidemiologist. Phone in. Let us know what the deal is. That'd be cool. Do you want to start? Uh, Yeah, let's fucking dive into it. Tell us all what we're fucking doing today, Michael. Well, we've been saving up a whole bunch of listener questions. Not because we've wanted to uh, save them <laughs> up, but because I felt like each question warranted its own whole episode and we only have so many public episodes blah 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 but i decided that i'm gonna just pull the plug and we're gonna answer a bunch of listener questions we're gonna do three listener questions that i know and hava you do not know yeah i'm just gonna give them to you we're in a lightning round so there are a bunch of questions from the past that uh, will come up now some that won't come up but just so you know we'll probably get to your question eventually so thank you for your patience listeners And let's start. Okay, question number one from Imposter Poster. Ooh. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Hi, Hava and Michael. Michael spelled the C-H is replaced with an X. Oh, that's cute. That's very cute. Already I love this question. It says, how are you? Question for the advice pod, Michael's Jewish Journey. How do you know when you are adopting some mitzvah or cultural practice for the right reasons? There are certain practices that really call to me, but I'm stuck because I keep wondering if I'm only really interested in appearing orthodox or appearing religious and not actually in taking on the obligation at all. For example, your recent discussion on tichels, 
I find myself wondering if I'm really interested in hair covering for the reasons I say I am. Bodily autonomy, to have something special to share with those close to me, or if I just want people to think I'm from. Maybe I'm just asking, how do you deal with Jewish imposter syndrome when you don't come from an orthodox background? Which is probably an impossible question, but that's who I am. Zeit Gesund. Did I pronounce that right? Zeit gesund. Zeit gesund. I love this question. Thank you so much, Imposter Poster. Two things immediately came up to me. One, in your question, you were asking about how to know whether you were doing things for the right reason or not. And I just want to put out there that the rabbis are okay with us doing mitzvahs for the wrong reasons sometimes and with doing positive acts for the wrong reasons. One example I can think of is there's some responsa literature out there, which is sort of like halachic correspondence over history that says if someone is converting to Judaism for the purposes of marrying a Jew, that's fine because maybe they will come to it sincerely or for some other reason later. You know, maybe they will come to appreciate the mitzvot in themselves afterwards. And so there's a lot of precedent out there for saying like, if you are coming to a mitzvah with questionable reasons, it's okay, because hopefully it will lead you to come to it for the quote, right reasons. That's one thing I have to say, which is that I know it's hard, but try not to worry too much about whether you're doing it for the right reasons. I think that that just becomes clear with time and practice. The second thing I want to say, you talked about how to deal with imposter syndrome when you don't come from an orthodox background. And I know we've talked about this here on the show before, and I think we'll talk about it even more in our series in August. But I really always want to take every opportunity to push back against the idea that orthodox and orthodox Jewish practice is, quote, the most Jewish practice. We have a picture in our minds that's been created for many sort of subcultural reasons that On one hand, we have orthodoxy, which is the most Jewish. And then on the other hand, we have sort of like secularism, which is the least legitimate Jewish. And we are all sort of defined by our proximity to orthodoxy. And that is just not true historically or morally. Yeah, that distinction between orthodox and secular, it's a consequence of modern history, not something that existed through time. And it's false to think that we were all quote-unquote orthodox at one point. Right. Orthodoxy as it exists today is sort of a collection of particular slices and interpretations of what Jewish practice means. Sometimes they seem to be the most hardcore, but they're just hardcore about particular values. When we choose other kinds of Jewish expression, we're being hardcore about other values of our own. So it's not about one is more lenient and one is more strict. It's just a difference of what you're choosing to be strict about, whether that's, you know, progressivism and queer liberation or whether it's Shabbat observance. And maybe you can find a melding of both of those. And definitely you can. (laughs) Those two are pretty easy to mesh. But I think you see what I'm saying is that I know that the imposter syndrome sort of lives at a body level, and you often can't think your way out of it. But I hope realizing that orthodoxy is not the most Jewish will help you with that process. One thing I remember you mentioning, returning back to like the first part of the question of how do you know when you're doing something for the right reasons? You've told me that you've tried observing different things and then stopped observing them or, you know, returned back to them later. It's not like a linear process and there's no like scale of righteousness. Yeah, I mean, it's a nonlinear journey. When I was working at Starbucks was when I first asked to not be scheduled on Shabbat. 
And when I did that, it felt very inauthentic. I was like, I don't keep Shabbat. I don't have this background. I'm just doing this to have control over my work schedule. But over the many years since that time, as I've sort of deepened my relationship with Shabbat more and more, the sort of holiness of Shabbat has been progressively revealed to me. So it started out feeling very fake. And then I just kept at it. And it's the sort of holiness accumulated over time. Well, this is perfect. This transitions into our next question, Hava. Great. From Emma, we have, Hi, I just listened to episode 45 about degrees of Shabbat observance for converts. And it got me thinking about your thoughts on Shabbat in general. Not sure if I have a super specific question, but I'd love to know your thoughts about reconciling Shabbat with, say, Friday evening work. Is there a gray area where you think observing some elements of Shabbat is okay? Is that even a useful way to think about it? Thanks so much. Yeah, I answered this a little bit in my previous answer, but I definitely think there is a, quote, gray area. I think whatever you do, whatever observance you pursue in your own way, is sacred in its own right and it doesn't have to meet a sort of predefined rubric to get you know a check mark from judaism one thing that was first taught to me by one of my wonderful teachers b'nai lapi of Sfara fame is sort of these two ways of thinking about jewish observance one of them which is sort of the dominant way of thinking about it in our culture right now is that it's incumbent upon every jew to observe every part of all of the mitzvot. And basically, liberation comes about through each one of us fulfilling all 613 mitzvot. But the other way to think about it that has some historical basis is that it is sort of incumbent upon us as a people to collaboratively fill all 613. And so maybe your mitzvah is building a sukkah. And that's like the thing that you're holding down for the Jewish people. Maybe your mitzvah, like mine, is studying Talmud, and that's the part you're trying to hold down. I want to encourage you to think about observance as a collaborative endeavor rather than a sort of an individual quest to perfect each mitzvah. I mean, we've mentioned it before. Everyone who's listening probably knows the standard liberal hyper-idealization of the individual is not leading us to happiness right now in our society so it would seem so you know feeling like you're doing something with a group makes me happy at least yes and i would also say it's my sense that the tradition and the rabbis of the talmud would rather you partially fulfill shabbat than give up on it entirely because you despair of keeping it at all that's borne out in for instance the law about a stolen beam on Gittin 55a which was in a class i taught previously with binya the part that's relevant is essentially that the rabbis rule more leniently even though it's not in agreement with what is obviously stated in the torah law because if they had ruled more strictly people would have despaired of ever following the law at all. If it gives you meaning, it gives you meaning, and, and that's good enough. And it's nice that the rabbis agree with you. But as we've learned, sometimes you don't agree with the rabbis. Sometimes the rabbis suck. Yeah, sometimes the rabbis There's suck. one thing you get from this podcast. I want to share that. Sometimes the rabbis suck and make bad decisions. All right, one last question for you, Hava. Are you ready? Yes, blow me away. This was sent to us by Meow. 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 Hi, you too. I first began studying Judaism in Israel, and that's where I began saying prayers and brachot. 
few years later, I learned things about the history of Palestine and its Zionist colonization that rooted me in an anti-Zionism as an extension of my anti-imperialist politics. Anyway, I now struggle with prayers and brachot that reference Israel, most of all with Shema. I intellectually understand that the Jewish kingdom and the modern nation-state are not the same, but I can't emotionally decouple them in prayer. Do you have any advice on how to approach this? Love to you both. Meow. Thanks for your question, Meow. So first, I just want to say I'm not totally sure exactly which part of the Shema is the main problem for you. So I'll just talk a little bit about prayer in general. Usually what I do in my prayer practice, and I'll be the first to say that davening in prayer is not something that comes naturally to me. And it's not a mitzvah I devote a lot of love to because I, I don't really think it's my thing that I'm carrying for the Jewish people for the most part. You know, we have blessings, for instance, in the Amidah about Hashem returning the Shekhinah to Zion and about ingathering of the exiles and things like that. And usually I sort of just chew on cognitively recontextualizing those things for myself, you know, in a diasporic context, you know, Zion can be wherever we are. There are exiles other than sort of the idea that the Jewish people are exiled from the land of Israel. There's always different ways to look at these prayers. Ultimately, when those cognitive reinterpretations don't work for me, and sometimes they don't, I just cut a prayer out of the prayer service, which may come off as a little blasphemous if you're committed to davening exactly the particular prayer service, but... I just want to encourage you to feel free to cut it out if it doesn't work for you and then maybe come revisit it in a couple years and see if you're able to think of it in a new context then. Don't be afraid to change and work with the material because it's yours to fuck with. Yeah, yeah, it's it's yours to fuck with. Uh, definitely the diasporic experience can be mapped onto all sorts of things like being an outsider in the current society that you live in. One main problem I have with the Shema is the tune. The tune sucks. <laughs> yes, oftentimes, especially for people like you who are raised in sort of a lackluster Jewish environment, that tune can become pretty grating. Oh, it's so grating. I'm just not into it. Yeah, I usually, honestly, when I say Shema at home, which is one of the few prayers that I do say every day, I just do a sort of quick whisper. Jews love to pray in that sort of supersonic Hebrew. Supersonic Hebrew. I love it. That reminds me of like comic books. Yeah, that's my superhero name. Supersonic Shebrew. Those are the three questions I wanted to bring to you. I thought you did great, Hava. You, you handled it with so much grace. Well, thank you. It's, you know, I'm very caffeinated. That helps. We're going to keep doing this, I think. Every once in a while, we're going to bring out a bunch of questions and answer them if they're the sort of things that we can answer on the fly. But expect some Talmud next week. Hell yeah. Great. Cool. Well, listeners, you are all special and beautiful. And thank you so much for listening to our questions episode today. Please go and join our Patreon at patreon.com slash Send us a message, send us an email at you at gmail.com. Call us on the Talmud hotline, which the number is in the description. And send us all your questions so that you too can have them answered on a question episode like this. And we really appreciate all your support. It is what makes this beautiful queer Talmud and all of the different monies we have to pay to make it happen possible. Thanks so much for continuing to support us and tell your friends about our weird Talmud adventures. Yeah. 
Okay, talk to you soon. Shavuot Tov. Shavuot Tov.